Welcome to the podcast edition of Dream Talk Radio. I'm your host, Anne Hill, and every week I explore topics related to dreams, sleep, health, culture, and consciousness. Dream Talk Radio airs every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific Time on KOWS 107.3 FM in Occidental, California. And you can catch the live stream at www.kows.fm. To find out more about Dream Talk Radio, visit my website at anhill.org. That's A-N-N-E-H-I-L-L dot org. Meanwhile, I hope you enjoy this edition of Dream Talk Radio. Oh, yes. Dr. John, good night, Irene, uh, here on Cows. Next lifetime, I want to play piano like that. Just note to self, okay? I'm just saying that would be awfully fun to play that. Um, We are here on Cows. It is 9 o'clock Thursday morning, time for Dream Talk Radio. I'm your host, Anne Hill, and I'm here every Thursday morning talking about dreams, uh, sleep, health, culture, consciousness, and all sorts of interesting tangential stuff. And today I have a really exciting guest on the phone. Uh, I'm talking with Robert Wagoner today, the author of Lucid Dreaming, Gateway to the Inner Self. Robert is the president of the International Association for the Study of Dreams. Uh, He has been co-editor for 10 years of the Lucid Dream Exchange newsletter, and his website is lucidadvice.com. Robert, it's so good to have you on the phone. And thanks for having me. Well, welcome to Dream Talk Radio. I think uh, now you are also on Ohio uh, Public Radio. Is that correct? Uh, no, actually, it's Iowa, Iowa. Public Oops. Radio. Yes. Um, sorry. Th- what they do? Uh, they have a uh, dream doctor, uh, someone who special. I'm sorry, a sleep doctor, someone who specializes in uh, sleep disorders. Oh. And they had so many comments and calls about dreams that they asked me to run opposite him, and so I talk about dreams and lucid dreaming and various topics on Iowa Public Radio. And and is that a regular feature there? It's uh, So we alternate months, so uh-huh. oh, uh, I'm great. on every other month. Well, that's fabulous. You know, it's it's rare to see. I, I've sort of been, um, you know, browsing around the, the Internet looking for other uh, shows on dreams, so I'm glad to know that you're there every other month uh, in Iowa talking about dreams. It does seem to be sort of a rare, a, a rare but useful subject to have a radio show on. Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating, and it's incredible when you have the callers call in with yes. amazing uh, dream and lucid dream experiences. Yes. Well, I'm so glad to have you on the show today because I have been really enjoying your book, Lucid Dreaming. And uh, I guess for those, uh, just to, to have make sure everybody listening is on the same page, would you mind just giving a sort of a thumbnail sketch of what lucid dreaming is? So a lucid dreaming is normally defined as becoming aware while dreaming that you are dreaming. So you consciously realize that you're dreaming within the dream. Uh, Once you consciously realize you're dreaming, then you can decide what you want to do. You can think about what you want to do. You can perform experiments, ask questions of the dream Mm -hmm. figures, pretty much do whatever you want. But it always involves consciously being aware that you're dreaming. Yes, 
Now, one of the things that I really appreciated about your book is that you go beyond the sort of the... uh, uh, the the shopping market you know the the uh, the uh, checkout line books about controlling your dreams and how to do x y and z in your dreams uh it sounds like from from your experience that was some of your initial attempts at lucid dreaming or li- initial ex- adventures but then you discovered that there was much more going on behind the scenes you know that's right at the beginning i just assumed it was kind of a playground of the mind yeah. i could become consciously aware fly around walk through walls talk to dream figures, and and just kind of play around. But after a while, I realized that I could actually do experiments. I could talk to the dream figures and ask them to tell me what the symbols in the dream meant. Mm -hmm. And I could begin to do many, many experiments until I actually realized that lucid dreaming leads to a much greater dimension of understanding. It's a place where we can finally begin to uh, study the dream state, study the nature of the subconscious, and and also understand the nature of the larger self. Yes, it's and just that idea of asking dream figures what either what symbols mean or what they themselves represent. I mean, it puts a fascinating spin on our attempts uh, in waking life to interpret dreams. Does, right. has, that, has it changed your, your perspective on uh, understanding dreams, yours and other people's? Oh, oh yes. I, I think uh, f- for most any lucid dreamer who goes into it deeply, and, and this is something that I've been doing uh, for 30 years, or yeah. actually more than 30 years, it, it really does give you new insights into the nature of uh, dreaming. Uh, for example, you have dream figures. Uh, when you're consciously aware in the dream state, you can talk to them, and... Um, Sometimes they'll give you interesting information uh, about the dream. Uh, Sometimes they'll ignore you. And and sometimes they'll actually uh, question your assumptions. Uh, For example, in some lucid dreams, the lucid dreamer will go up to a dream figure and say, do you know I'm dreaming you? Do you know I'm creating you? And the dream figure will have a rebuttal. The dream figure will say, how do you know I'm not dreaming you? Uh Uh-huh. Uh, and then the lucid dreamer will go, well, look, I can fly. And then the <laughs> dream figure will say, well, look, I can fly too. And and so when you start to have uh, interactions with dream figures like that, yeah. you, you realize that uh, lucid dreaming offers a way to really experience and come to know uh, the nature of the subconscious mind. Right. So then when you, uh, I, I mean, I, I'm thinking, okay, so if somebody asks you then to interpret a dream with, where say, uh, you know, a cat comes to them, uh, you know, across a road and comes right up to them and starts, you know, purring and rubbing up against their legs, you, you might have some some different views on what that cat could represent other than Oh, say that's you know my feminine self or my uh, you know physical something or other. Right. In in general, dream philosophy or in the general culture, uh, people often would remark that all dream figures represent an aspect of yourself. Yeah. And and I think that's a a fine place to start. I mm-hmm. mean that's a okay place to start. But when you get into lucid dreaming and uh, do more experiments with like mutual lucid dreaming where two lucid dreamers try to meet up in the same space or become consciously aware and interact with a deceased uh, dream figure then you start to realize that something more is going on here Mm -hmm. that uh, 
actually you're encountering uh, deeper, deeper, more profound uh, things than just aspects of yourself. You're you're getting information that you can't otherwise know, yeah. and um, and so you're really getting into deeper water when, when you're consciously aware in the dream state. Yeah, and that uh, you bring up, um, I think you do a really nice job of of explicating three. Uh, three ways to interact with dreams. One is using my will. You know, I will something. Okay, I'm lucid in my dream. I'm awake in my dream. Oh, good. I'm going to, uh, you know, get a new ATM card and pull out a million dollars out of the machine. Right? That's that's will. But then you talk about um, expectations. Whether I expect that to succeed or not will determine to a large extent at least or maybe even completely determine whether I'm successful at that whether I pull out 20 bucks or whether the machine spits out my card or whether I actually get you know a million dollars out of the machine but then you also talk about intention and I think it's so interesting to draw a distinction between you know willing something to happen expecting it to happen and intending for it to happen can you explain a little bit about what what intention does Right. Uh, so, so after having all of these lucid dreams and talking to other experienced lucid dreamers, I, I tried to kind of create a model of the principles by which lucid dreamers create the dream reality. Because when you're consciously aware in the dream state, you have um, kind of an incredible ability to manipulate your thoughts, manipulate your ideas, and also in that process, uh, manipulate the dream reality to some mm-hmm. degree. And so, for example, expectation uh, seems to be one of those fundamental things that all lucid dreamers experience. For, for example, um, in a lucid dream, uh, realizing that I dream, I can fly through a wall easily. But what I've discovered is if I expect to have trouble getting through a wall, mm-hmm. then oftentimes I would fly up to it and bounce off. Mm-hmm. And I remember once of flying through a wall that I'd flown through before in the dream, earlier in the dream. And this time I had just a little bit of doubt as I was getting up to it. And it was interesting to see that I got stuck halfway through the wall. Oh, wow. So, so expectation shows us that, uh, uh, or I call it the expectation effect in lucid dreams, shows us that we often get what we expect to get at the moment we expect it, and to the degree that we expect it. Yes. And, and also I think you'll find that in when people talk about the law of attraction and, and that right. sort of idea, that, that expectation there also uh, seems very powerful. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, but beyond expectation, we can also see that intent is one of those things that help us create the dream reality. And so I'll just tell you how some artists and and novelists have used lucid dreams and used intent in lucid sure. dreams. So, so what they would do, like an artist would become consciously aware in the dream state, and then he would announce to the dream that when he enters the next room, he intends to find artwork that he or she could reproduce. Hmm. And so what happens is uh, just by making that intent, you know, announcing that intent, uh, he or she could walk into that next room, and normally they'll discover artwork hanging on the wall that that they can start to look at and visualize hmm. and see, and, and then wake up in the morning and uh, and begin to paint that. And begin to paint it. Uh, that is just such a wild concept, and it strikes me that 
I mean, I could do that. You know, I could, I could uh, ask, to, I, I could expect or, or want to see uh, some artwork that I can make. But since I'm not trained and I'm not actually very skilled, nor am I really interested in visual arts, probably whatever I would make wouldn't really quite. I mean, it, it, there's there's a way in which we have to actually have the skill set in our lives to really bring the creativity and what we can imagine in the dream into fruition. Right, right. But, but how, however, um, whatever interest one has, uh, I, I think the beauty of using intent in lucid dream, dreaming is that it allows us to kind of access our inner muse. Uh-huh. It, it allows us to access that subconscious creativity, whether it's an intellectual concept or a novel or, or writing software code or whatever it is. Right. Uh, when we're consciously aware in the dream state and use our intent, uh, we have incredible access uh, to that. Well, and it's something that's that's pretty widely uh, uh, accepted in terms of regular dreams. I mean, the things that people have come up with just uh, waking up from a dream. Wow, I can, you know, write this whole book called Frankenstein, or I can, oh, look, here's the periodic table. It all sort of fleshed out in my dream. But do you be able to access that uh, more frequently, Right, right, and, and you're exactly right. Uh, you, you don't have to be a lucid dreamer, or you don't have to lucid dream all the time to access the creativity to, uh, or the muse inside. Uh, mm-hmm. Oftentimes, uh, people who don't lucid dream, uh, they'll, they'll tell me they do the same thing just by incubating yeah. a dream, that they'll tell themselves, uh, like uh, um, the writer of Frankenstein, uh, right. Mary Beth Shelley, uh, she incubated to have uh, a, a dream occur that she could write a novel about mm-hmm. and she dreamt about Frankenstein and 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 ended up writing the novel so yes. so you can incubate this uh, in the waking state before going to sleep and, and oftentimes uh, access the muse equally as well well you know I have to admit before I read your book I had this image of uh, people who are really into lucid dreaming like oh that's all they ever do and I would be exhausted if I had to be awake when I'm asleep every night but then I read in your book oh you know for me lucid dreaming is like you know three lucid dreams a month or something like that and I thought well that's manageable (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't seem like getting taking on too much somehow Right. You know, um, w- w- when I first began uh, lucid dreaming uh, back in high school and college, uh, I-, I would have from three to eight lucid dreams a month. And um, um, th- then I had adopted some techniques that got me up to having 30 lucid dreams a month yeah. at my best. But but normally uh, nowadays I'll have three to four lucid dreams a month mm-hmm. uh, unless I have a project or something going on. Mm-hmm. But But one curious thing about lucid dreams um, oftentimes when you become consciously aware in the dream state, you have kind of what I call lucid euphoria. Mm-hmm. It, it's like at that moment that you realize that everything around you exists by virtue of dreaming. When you have that conscious awareness, yeah. oftentimes you have this sense of euphoria, this kind of joy and happiness at, at having that realization. Mm-hmm. And, and also when you wake in the morning, uh, sometimes you have what I call a lucid afterglow. Yes. That, that for the next few hours upon waking or sometimes for the next few days, you kind of have a different sense about yourself, mm-hmm. kind of like extra energy or extra awareness, and uh, you have this incredible lucid afterglow. Well, I mean, every time I've I've had a lucid dream, I just, they've been brief and they've been spontaneous. You know, I don't plan to to uh, to become lucid in my dream. I just pop 
awake in my dream. And, and even though they've been very brief, they've been incredibly profound. I mean, one of my first lucid dreams that I can remember was back in the early 90s um, when I was starting to do dream work really regularly. And I was... Uh, in my dream, I'm talking, there's three women and we're talking, we're having a great time. We are laughing and joking and we're all sort of in the same, you know, on the same page and we're having a great time. And then this other woman comes up and she's got this different haircut and she looks really sort of depressed. And I'm thinking, oh God, she's just going to ruin the whole mood of this thing. You know, oh, do we have to let her talk with us? And then I sort of pop awake and I think, wait a minute, Jung says that the personality is a quaternity. And so there's always the shadow that's the fourth part and if I don't integrate the shadow then you know that'll be just ridiculous and so I I think that and I let her come into the circle and then instantly the four of us transform into wolves and we're like racing together down the step oh, you know <laughs> what a beautiful dream. <laughs> I guess Jung was right in that sense you know I, I recall and and write about this in my book of uh, one lucid dream where I sat in a uh, kind of Depression-era farmhouse uh, down south. And, uh, and so the dream is occurring that the woman is cooking beans and she puts them on her plate. And then I look around the table and I see my oldest brother, but I also know that someone is behind me. So I look behind me and, and there's an attractive uh, black woman behind me. And then it hits me, this is just too dreamy. This must be a, uh-huh. a dream. And so I begin to wonder, who's this woman behind me? So I, I pick her up and put her in front of me, and because I'm consciously aware, uh, I ask her, what do you represent? What do you represent? Mm -hmm. And she responds, I am the discarded aspect, or I am a discarded aspect of yourself. Uh And at that I think, oh, a discarded aspect I should reintegrate. (laughs) And as soon as I do that, the woman becomes a little wisp of light, Mm. and and that wisp of light enters my chest. And when I woke up, I felt different. And, yeah. and about a week later, I decided to start writing this book on lucid dreams, oh, which was a project uh-huh. that I had discarded five years ago because I, I didn't think I could do justice to the uh-huh. beauty and the enormity of lucid dreaming. So, it, so, so I think you're right. Uh, lucid dreaming and dreaming allows us a chance to really integrate these uh, shadow and discarded aspect. Well, and that's a beautiful example of something, I mean, not this discarded aspect of yourself was not just a sort of a persona, you know, some sort of shadow thing. It actually had all of this generative energy. Right, right. And and also when I've talked to other lucid dreamers who um, have used lucid dreaming to become aware when they're having a nightmare, Mm -hmm. oftentimes these nightmarish figures, when they've decided to love them and understand them or integrate them, they too have evaporated and become a little wisp of light that's entered the lucid dreamer. And and so it's it's curious when I talk to other lucid dreamers who have experienced this because it's like each person is experiencing the same sort of thing, but but by themselves without any knowledge of other people having that same experience. Well, and just that that motion in the dream, I mean, both of us describe the same thing. Instead of saying, oh, this is an unwanted or uncalled for thing, I'm just going to ignore it, or I'm going to 
rear up and chase it away. I mean, the, just that shift from doing that to the perception that, wait, maybe this is something I need to integrate. Maybe this is something I need to understand. Seems like a, a, a kind of a higher order dreaming. I mean, when I talk to people about nightmares, it, 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 depending on where they are in their lives, sometimes it's appropriate to just say, you actually have to you know, learn to turn around and stand up. And, and confront conflict. But then there's a way in which that you, you kind of gain the strength or the, the um, resilience of spirit that that builds. And then you're able to actually go, move towards integration. Right, right. You know, uh, what's interesting, Anne, is, is that I have to confess that in those early years as a lucid dreamer, uh, whenever I met a dream figure that was giving me trouble, uh, normally I would smash it or <laughs> I would go flying away and, and just ignore it. And, and so it, it, that's one reason that I think lucid dreamers need to kind of get some of these concepts of dream work in their mind. Yeah. That uh, a, as I progressed as a lucid dreamer, I began to realize that understanding, uh, getting in touch with these disharmonious parts of the dream was actually the most powerful thing I could do. Mm-hmm. So, so now when I became consciously aware in the dream state, instead of running from trouble... Uh, I would try to bring greater awareness to it and either question the dream figures or project love and compassion and understanding on them and and then watch as they transform into something um, more compassionate themselves. So so, so it was definitely a process, but but it does show the potential of lucid dreaming to kind of help us integrate uh, the shadow aspect of ourselves. Absolutely. And I don't mean to imply that that's sort of a, a stage that we go through in our, say, our early 20s and then we get over it. I think, I, I mean, I, I still have, you know, if I have something that's really challenging in a dream, my first instinct is is sort of the halt, who goes there kind of a thing. You know, I don't go right towards... Uh, uh, integration if it's something that seems so vast and so overwhelming that I'm afraid of kind of losing my, you know, losing my lunch. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, so I think there's a there's a way in which the degree of of the incoming energy necessitates first a protective uh, stance and then okay you know I've got a little bit of space now I can figure it out so I don't I don't think that it's necessarily something that we pass through at a certain stage I think it could really come back at any time depending on circumstances right I, I got an email from a woman about a month ago who had had a, a horrible accident uh, a few years back and, and uh, injured herself severely and after that accident, she had post-traumatic stress disorder. She had oh, yeah. recurring nightmares uh, almost every other night mm-hmm. uh, about this horrible event. But then she stumbled uh, through the um, bookstore one day and saw a book on lucid dreaming and recalled that she had that ability. Mm. And she realized that by lucid dreaming, she could become consciously aware in these nightmares and transform them. And, and she said it was an incredible experience that allowed her to, in a sense, kind of regain the the emotional self that she once was, that she was yeah. no longer troubled by the nightmares, that she felt like finally she had some influence and greater understanding of that part of herself, and she could kind of assist in the emotional healing of herself after this uh, traumatic event. Oh, yes, exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking of, the sort of traumatic events. We can't control that. That's... We just, you know, have to use the tools that we have and the tools that we can remember at the moment. 
Right. So, so, so I think that's one of the advantages of lucid dreaming. When you're consciously aware, you can augment and assist that process. But, mm-hmm. but, but also in my book, I bring up that people, experienced lucid dreamers, have also used lucid dreams to apparently heal their physical bodies. Right. And um, I, I think that's some of the later chapters in my book really get into some of the uh, uh, techniques and abilities that experienced lucid dreamers have discovered just by their own investigation. Yes, and I should mention we are talking with Robert Wagner today on Dream Talk Radio. Robert is the author of Lucid Dreaming, Gateway to the Inner Self, and you can find his website with uh, more information on everything that he does at lucidadvice.com. Um, one of the things, and we'll get to that, the, the, the latter parts of your book are pretty cool. You know, the whole thing about healing in dreams and searching for information in dreams and mutual lucid dreaming. Um, I want to go back a little bit, though, because I think one of the things uh, for me that I really appreciated in this in your book is how you're able to sort of put your experience alongside uh, what Freud said about the unconscious and what Jung said about the unconscious and say, well, you know, for instance, Jung had a, a rather a sort of a dark view of the unconscious. There's all sorts of things, primal urges and stuff, and it was kind of shadowy stuff. But your experience is m- much more that the the unconscious is almost sentient. You know, it's alive, it's energetic, it's 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 di- it's not controlled by our waking self. And I'm wondering, uh, do you think that Jung had that idea about the unconscious because he mostly dealt with pathology with people who were a little bit off-kilter in one way or the other? Or do you think that was just sort of the, the zeitgeist? Well, to, to some degree, I think it was a, a bit of both. Um, um, we have to remember that Freud uh, said that dreams were about wish fulfillment. Right. And basically, they were about the wish fulfillment of the id that had all these instinctual needs that needed gratifying and all. And so, so uh, the ones that it couldn't gratify in the waking world, it would gratify, it would create in the dream world. Yeah. And and gratify that way, and and so you get this kind of idea from early psychology of a, of a pretty uh, unhappy dream realm uh, that well not necessarily unhappy but kind of a dark and foreboding and instinctual kind of dream realm mm-hmm. untrustworthy but, untrustworthy <laughs> but but when you become consciously aware in the dream state and begin to see the importance of the expectation effect and you begin to see that your mental processes and your emotional issues are brought into that dreaming, you, you really realize that the dream realm is actually relatively neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that sure, there might be emotional stuff going on there, but it's, it's your emotional stuff. It's not right. a natural function of the dream realm I- any more than having an argument in a car is a natural function of the car. Yes. I mean, the car is just totally neutral. It's just a place where it happens. And so... So, so when you realize that, you you get a kind of a deeper sense of uh, dreaming as a place you can trust and work out issues. Mm-hmm. And, and also you realize that uh, no matter where you go, there you are, that, that there's <laughs> there's no running away from the self. And, and so, so it's best to kind of work through your issues, uh, use dreaming, use lucid dreaming, yes. use whatever modalities you have and... Uh, and and work through those fears and feelings of being stuck or or acting unconsciously. Well, it makes sense to me. <laughs> but uh, you know, hey, I'm a I'm a dream geek. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now let's talk about some of the the stuff that you that um, you touch on in the book. For instance, uh, fishing for information. The whole chapter on di- different ways to uh, to tr- to access information from our dreams. Right. You know uh, what happened to me is as I kept going deeper and deeper into lucid dreaming, I, I realized that to some degree an awareness existed behind the dream. Mm-hmm. And so when I became consciously aware in the dream state, um, I realized that the best place to pose a question is to the awareness behind the dream. Yeah. Um, if you talk to a dream figure, sometimes it'll give you a response, sometimes it will ignore you, sometimes it'll do whatever it wants to do. But whenever I asked the dream, whenever I ignored all the dream figures that, that might be aspects of myself, and just just pose the question to the awareness behind the dream, um, I'd, I'd have profound responses. Mm. And um, one of them uh, that I write about in my book is, uh, I'd been reading the books by Jane Roberts, yeah. uh, the Seth books, and, and she had talked about this concept that everyone has a feeling tone. And, and I thought, what, what, what does that mean, this feeling tone? Everyone has a feeling tone. You know, is it is it more feeling or is it more a tone? Because she, mm. she seemed to say it was the essence of oneself. Mm-hmm. And so I became consciously aware in a dream, and I remembered my curiosity about this concept. And so I just yelled out to the dream, hey, dream, <laughs> I, w- I want to experience my feeling tone. And, and then I had the most incredible lucid dream experience where this little dot uh, appears above me and starts to hum this ah sound. And as it hums it louder and louder, it creates a cone shape that's, that's humming this ah. And mm. as it goes higher and higher in, in sound quality, the cone gets bigger and bigger until my whole body is just vibrating, mm. shaking with this ah sound. And, and finally, I basically disappear and uh, experience the dream from another perspective as this this shaking cone of vibrating awe mm. um, covers up what I once was. And, and so that's one of the beautiful things about lucid dreaming. Um, in that chapter on uh, fishing for information, uh, I, I talk about um, lucid dream experiences where people go in search of infinity. Right. They become consciously aware and shout out to the dream that it, they want to experience infinity. And, and then they'll have just enormously incredible, almost hard to describe, uh, lucid dream experiences that that are truly, truly profound. Interesting. Do you ever? Do you? I mean, you've been co-editor of the Lucid Dream Exchange newsletter for ten years. Do you get people who say, "Oh, right, I'm lucid in a dream." Hey, dream, I wanna, I wanna know the the lottery numbers. I mean, <laughs> do people get that sort of, you know, basic about stuff, or you know, um, you have people all over the place. Uh, yeah. Some people are very practical minded and yeah. and and want to uh, discover something for, for themselves. And then other people are very uh, kind of intellectually oriented um, or, or they're spiritually oriented. Yeah. Like um, in the Lucid Dream Exchange, uh, a young woman wrote us from San Diego. Um, I think she had read my book and had been reading the Lucid Dream Exchange for a long time. And, and I mentioned how one time in a lucid dream, I realized I had never meditated in a lucid dream. Hmm. And so I sat down and had this totally profound experience that just took seconds to get into. 
And so she decided that the next time she'd become consciously aware in the dream, that she would chant Om. And within moments, she had the most profound feeling of kind of universal oneness and and kind of cosmic comprehension. Mm. And that, that's the amazing thing. When you're consciously aware at this platform, this subconscious platform, whenever you try these techniques um, and, and you do them in a non-conflicted way and in a thoughtful manner, um, sometimes you can experience depths of reality that that are just really almost hard to write about Mm -hmm. because they come so quickly and so profoundly. Yes, and it sounds like, in in your case, it took a while to integrate that. You talk about taking about a two-year break after, uh, you know, seeing some amazing things and really kind of having your socks knocked off in a certain way about the nature of reality. (laughs) Right. You know, what happened to me is um, I'd been lucid dreaming for 12, 13, 14 years, and um, oftentimes in lucid dreams, uh, you realize that the lucid dream is coming to an end. Uh, and sometimes at that point, you either wake into waking reality or or the dream goes gray. It's like all the visuals disappear yeah. and you're consciously aware in this gray space. But sometimes you have what they call a false awakening. Mm-hmm. So you think you've woken up. And because you seem to be back in your bedroom or or someplace, and and you think you've woken up, but then it occurs to you uh, 30 seconds later that you still must be dreaming because you're not actually in your bedroom Mm -hmm. because something's different, like the carpet's pink or or there's a bookshelf or there isn't a bookshelf in Waking Reality. Well, anyway, uh, what happened to me, I, I had seven false awakenings in a row. And, and each time I thought I'd awoken back into physical reality, but but actually I was still in the dream state again. And it just kept happening over and over and over until finally I got to the point where no matter what reality I woke up into, I was just going to accept because that was getting a little <laughs> bit odd. But, but yeah, that did make me realize that uh, I, you can go very deep into lucid dreaming. Yeah. And, and at some point, um, you, if you feel like it, you have to just set it aside, take it easy and kind of uh, get back into waking reality and 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 uh, build up your strength to venture more deeply. Yes. I mean, I, I actually, I really appreciated that that um, anecdote that you, that you just shared because, uh, you know, people ask me about dreams where they have false awakenings all the time. And, I mean, to me, the just the whole idea of a false awakening sounds like, you know, it in my dream, it would be that I think that I found the truth or the the truth behind the truth, but it's just another, it's just another illusion in a sense. Like I'm sort of, you know, putting my chips down on something that may or may not be uh, reliable. So it would be, it would be something that I would say, well, you know, maybe I should just keep questioning and not feel like I've found it. Right. It, it, it's a curious phenomenon. I, I um, read somewhere that Bertrand Russell, the philosopher, um, apparently one night had what he called a, a thousand false awakenings, Yikes. just one after the other. And and so when you have an experience like that, it does kind of make you uh, possibly think about reality in a different way yeah. and, and kind of... Uh, um, uh, have to delve into uh, the actual nature of, mm-hmm. of reality a little bit more. Well, it's humbling, isn't it? You know, 
Oh, it, it, it is very humbling. And, and actually, as, as you go deeper into lucid dreaming, that's why I say it's kind of a gateway to the inner self, mm-hmm. because if you follow the greater creativity, uh, you realize that the waking consciousness has so much creativity and all, but, but behind the waking self or the ego self, there's a storehouse of much greater information and knowledge and creativity, yes. uh, that awareness behind the dream, which I consider to some way as a gateway to the inner self. Mm-hmm. We're talking with Robert Wagner today on Dream Talk Radio. Robert is the author of Lucid Dreaming, Gateway to the Inner Self. And uh, this is Dream Talk Radio with me, your host, Ann Hill. <laughs> like, I'm here every Thursday. So, um, But today, talking about lucid dreaming, it's actually made me... Reading the book, you know, it's one of those things, it's such a suggestible topic. I've started to have lucid dreams just because I've been reading your book on lucid dreaming, which is always kind of interesting. Right. I've had people write reviews on Amazon.com that after reading 50 pages in my book, they had their first two lucid dreams, yeah, and, and they're yeah. so excited. <laughs> but you're right. I think when our conscious mind kind of... Um, gets lucid dreaming on its radar and starts thinking yeah. about it, we just naturally have yes. uh, more lucid dreams. One of the, the concepts that I found really fascinating, and I'm, I'm sort of still mulling it over, uh, is you talk about the committee. Right. Right. Um, uh, just for the listeners, um, mm-hmm. so, so I, I found in a number of lucid dreams, uh, four or five uh, over the course of my first uh, 20 years, that it seemed like a review committee appeared. Mm-hmm. A- and what would happen, I'd become consciously aware in the dream state, and then a dream figure would come up to me and want me to go with it and meet some some other dream figures. And when I'd get there, the dream figures would ask me questions. Mm-hmm. They'd ask me questions about my level of consciousness. They'd ask me all sorts of questions. And it, and it felt like being in some sort of graduate student exam or or something like that where where the dream figures were trying to gauge my level of mm-hmm. understanding and awareness. Do you think, and I mean, that matches up so much with, oh gosh, I mean, I can't really offhand think of a of a spiritual tradition that doesn't have this idea of sort of, oh, I don't want to say ascended masters, but you know, this idea of the astral school. You know, I, I, I'm... I'm familiar with what you're talking about. I, I don't know if that's the case here, but mm-hmm. but but it did seem that there were there were there appear to be awarenesses w- within the lucid dream state that lucid dreamers meet on occasion that mm-hmm. that that truly do want to kind of gauge their progress and and I've heard other lucid dreamers tell me similar stories of of um, of meeting mm-hmm. review committees and uh, and hearing their judgments which which is always quite interesting. Well, it's just a fascinating thought that we that that not everything in our dream comes from our own consciousness, and, and also it might be that we just need to broaden the our thinking about consciousness. Mm-hmm. That, that when we're consciously aware in this new platform, we might actually have access or awareness of a much broader range of consciousness. So, so, so often we think of consciousness only from the perspective of our ego self, yeah. our waking self. But when we're consciously aware in the dream state, uh, we have a new platform from which to view that whole realm of the subconscious or the un- right. unconscious. And, and so I, I think that's one of the beautiful things about lucid dreaming. 
uh, for the first time, it allows us to look at conscious consciousness more deeply and from a new perspective. Well, and certainly the idea of mutual lucid dreaming, I mean, having, you know, agreeing with another person that you actually know in waking life, (laughs) that you're gonna that you're gonna have a lucid dream and and meet up. I mean, how does that work? You know, um, I'm not exactly sure of the mechanism. Um, On a recent uh, lucid dreaming forum, called lucipedia.com, <laughs> someone asked me uh, to explain the mechanism, and, and I said, well, dream telepathy might be the mechanism mm-hmm. of how mutual lucid dreaming or mutual dreams occur, and, and to show that to the people on the forum, uh, they had a woman who was becoming the telepathic sender, I'd become the telepathic receiver, and, and, and would see what the results were. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so their first uh, telepathic sending what was a picture of a woman in a cafeteria, um, a, wait, a waitress uh, bringing food to people sitting there. Uh, that night, I had five dreams, and all of them involved either food or cafes hmm. or seating at cafe tables and that sort of thing. Yeah. So, so I think when you have that kind of experience, and you also look at the experience of Stanley Krippner and right. Montague Allman and their dream telepathy work, that, that actually dream telepathy seems almost a proven scientifically um, it's just one of these matters of getting science to accept what what science has come up with yes exactly well i remember uh i was at the iasd conference in chicago uh, right. i guess that was last year yeah uh, yeah and i i uh, was listening to a presentation on dream geography i don't know if you were there it was this uh fellow from the ukraine Right, and, right. Yes, I was there. Oh, you were there. Yeah. And yeah. he said this interesting remark, which is sort of stuck with me, which is that when uh, he and his uh, compadres are, are planning to meet in a dream, they found that it's much less reliable to say, OK, let's meet at the corner of 8th and D streets. You know what they right. basically what they have to do is they have to summon the image of the person. Similar to what you talk about when you're when you're talking about well, if I want to get to a certain place, I imagine that place. But but for meeting up with people, they said it's much easier to imagine the person. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I I, I agree. And uh, it, it's interesting at these uh, International Association for the Study of Dream conferences to, to hear other lucid dreamers from other cultures, uh, like this gentleman from the Ukraine and Russia. Uh, speak on lucid dreaming mm-hmm. because um, the, the, their approach, um, it, to some degree, is, is different than what sure. what, uh, that, what sure. we do. But in in the dream state, um, when you're consciously aware in the dream state, you do have that capacity to apparently interact with others, and um, it's very complicated. Uh, in my book, I have a whole chapter of 25 pages about mutual lucid dreaming. But, but it's it's really one of those things that kind of make you rethink the nature of dream reality mm-hmm. and, and how that actually happens. Yes. Well, uh, we are talking with Robert Wagner here on Dream Talk Radio. And you can find out more about Robert's book and all of his uh, lucid dreaming activities at lucidadvice.com. Uh, you're also, your book, you mentioned, is being used as a textbook right now at the University of Washington and at Evergreen uh, College. Can you tell more, us more about the the classes that uh, what the the uh, subject matter is that there is it just a lucid dreaming class? No, um, mm. you know, last week I was out in uh, the Seattle area uh-huh. uh, t- 
talking to two classes at the University of Washington Bothell, uh, the Bothell campus, mm-hmm. and also Evergreen State College in Olympia, where, where there's also some classes um, that, that are using my book as uh, required reading for their course. But but these are courses in consciousness or uh-huh. consciousness studies. Right. And, and so I think the reason the uh, professors decided to use my book was when you do, when you question um, college students, how many of you have had a lucid dream or have become consciously aware in the dream state, almost inevitably 70% of the students raise their hand. So so lucid dreaming is quite common anymore out in the population, but but of course a lot of people haven't delved into it deeply and Mm -hmm. kind of understand what you can do when you're aware in the subconscious. So, So they use my book on lucid dreaming to kind of explore that aspect of consciousness. When you're consciously mm-hmm. aware in the dream state, what do you have access to? And can you explore some of these concepts like precognitive dreams and telepathic dreams while consciously aware in the dream state? Yeah. And also it, it goes back to some of the comments recently that have come out of uh, scientists where they've been doing uh, neurophysiological uh, studies of lucid dreamers kind of tracking their brain patterns mm. and brain activation while lucidly aware. And and people like uh, Alan Hobson and some German researchers recently published a study where they're calling lucid dreaming a um, hybrid state of yes. consciousness that contains both aspects of waking consciousness and dreaming consciousness yes. occurring simultaneously. And And so that's why I think lucid dreaming, we're just at the very beginning of understanding how we can use this as a revolutionary tool mm-hmm. uh, to study consciousness and and really who we are as right. as human beings. Yeah, I've talked a lot about that study, uh, Alan Hobson's uh, theory that there are two parallel states of consciousness going on simultaneously all the time: the dreaming and waking, for right. lack of more you know precise w- words. But that in lucid dreaming, both are engaged. And uh, the interesting thing to me about his his uh, research and his theorizing based on the results is that, you know, he, he says that, well, you know, clearly then dreaming is rehearsal for waking consciousness because, you know, we sub- we, our, our, our dreaming consciousness is, is repressed during the day because we're waking. But meanwhile, we've had all these rehearsals. But, I mean, the implications to me of his study are, are pretty vast because the, if if we're dreaming and waking at the same time simultaneously, that means we don't actually have to wait, well, till we go to sleep to access the dreaming consciousness. I mean, it's there in a certain sense uh, if we can figure out how to get there and how to, you know, stay on the road at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, if you go back into the history of psychology, um, you have people like Morton Prince um, around the turn of the century, around 1910 or so, Talking that we probably have a co-consciousness that 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 we actually do have uh, kind of two levels of conscious awareness going on at the same time, and and that that kind of brings up the issue of consciousness because oftentimes we think of it as this monolithic kind of flashlight of awareness that right. we scan around the physical environment, but if if simultaneously we have a co-conscious awareness, a, a subconscious awareness that's ongoing. Then, then that makes things a little bit more complicated and and also a little bit more wonderful and mm-hmm. uh, and powerful. Well, yeah, and it's I mean you're right. We do think of consciousness. Well, we talk about the light of consciousness, 
But really, when we talk about our the complete, you know, our the unconscious as well as our waking consciousness, it's there's a lot more darkness, a lot more things that we can't actually see with our conscious, with our ego awareness. But they they are they're accessed through different senses. Right, right, and 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 that's the beauty of lucid dreaming. When you can begin to integrate that subconscious understanding along with the conscious understanding and get them uh, working together or or sharing information. Um, I I think that that really shows that lucid dreaming might, to some degree, represent an evolution of consciousness, Mm -hmm. that that it shows us some of our greater potential. Right. um, I'll, I'll get back to you. Um, see, this is the problem with your book, is I just want to jump off into <laughs> philosophy. And <laughs> ultimately, it's hard to track after a certain while. <laughs> you have to, you know, have a, a cup of tea or a glass of whiskey or something like that instead of having about 10 more minutes to go on the radio <laughs> this morning. Um, but one of the things that I did want to get to, uh, so I'll, I will just sort of direct us there, is the idea of healing in dreams. I mean, you've talked about the feeling tone, this amazing sort of sensory sound experience that that sort of consumes the the dream ego, for lack of a better word. And then it's and then you kind of have to okay dial it back and and remember okay how does my body and form and everything take shape so that I can be myself again. The, and and then you go into stuff like healing in dreams, and I'm wondering, is it the feeling tone, that state, or that type of energy that that you are able to access when healing or, or exploring heal, the healing realms in lucid dreams? You know that that's an excellent question, and and I I don't know if I have a good answer for it. Uh, what, what I did want to do in that chapter on healing in lucid dreams is show examples of people of experienced lucid dreamers who used healing intent they use the intent intention of healing in the lucid dream state and, and the profound things that happen to their physical body uh, upon awakening and also in that chapter i give examples of lucid dreamers who who kind of um didn't use the uh mental processes uh, correctly and 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 had uh, very little effect uh-huh. But normally what would happen, just to give an example of one woman, um, in waking life she had uh, horrible plantar warts on her feet that were very painful. Mm-hmm. And she had been trying for months to kind of visualize these plantar warts going away, but nothing happened. But then she heard of my friend uh, Ed Kellogg, who mm-hmm. has a Ph.D. in biochemistry and, and is an excellent lucid dreamer, and how he used lucid dreaming to become consciously aware and heal himself of a infected tonsil. So, so what she did, she became consciously aware in the dream state. She remembered her intent to heal her plantar wards. She then, in the dream, created a ball of light, which she put over each of her feet, mm. intending for this ball of healing light to heal these plantar wards. When she woke up the next morning, all of her plantar wards had turned black. Wow. And also, within 10 days, all of them fell off, and, and they never returned. And, and so that gives you kind of an, just one example, a simple yeah. example. But I, I have more uh, bigger examples of people who mm-hmm. have dealt with tumors and infections and out-of-control bleeding yeah. and apparently become consciously aware and intended the healing and then woken up to no longer have that issue right. anymore. 
Well, it's certainly, I mean, there's a lot of, um, I mean, in the anthropological literature, that kind of stuff is pretty well covered in many, many cultures. And it's kind of heartening to think that, okay, even here in the West, where we've sort of been trained by our, our psychological outlook, uh, you know, to think in kind of limited terms about the uh, possibilities of dreams, it's very, it's heartening to think that this stuff actually is, this is sort of like a human potential. Right, exactly. And the, the thing of it is, though, um, you still have to explore the concept and think about it. Um, mm-hmm. I've, brought, I've brought up the idea of healing in a lucid dream on some forums, and, and people acted like uh, I'm talking about uh, the absence of gravity or something like that that, huh. that, that I'm defying gravity. So you still have to get over yeah. people's own conceptual barrier to the idea that in that subconscious state, you can use healing intent and uh, mm-hmm. and and take care of uh, disease yeah. and, and other issues. So. Well, and I think this points again to one of the remarkable things about your book, in my opinion, which is that uh, at no point, I'm not totally through with the book, but at no point do you stop being curious about it. You know, there you there's a lot of books out there on lucid dreaming that say, look, you can do X, Y, and Z in your lucid dreams. Isn't that cool? End of book. But yours is like, oh, this is so interesting. But that means that there's actually something else behind that. So I went, you know, there's a, this, 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 um, you know, building on itself kind of, I mean, you, you kind of, you have these lessons, which I, I love, these little lessons, steps along the way that you've learned about lucid dreams. And it doesn't seem like there's really any end. So I appreciate that, uh, the inquisitive uh, mind behind oh, the book. <laughs> you know, I, I think that's the beauty of curiosity, because there's kind of a yes. love for learning, and I am infinitely curious. Yeah. And so even in my chapter on healing and lucid dreams, I give examples of where experienced lucid dreamers have apparently healed other people while consciously aware in the dream state or, yeah. or affected their, their health situation. Yeah. That they always got their permission in advance, so you know they knew that something was going on. And then there's examples where they tried, tried to heal another, and they could see the energy bounce off the person in the lucid dream, yeah. and they recognized that nothing was going to happen. So... So it's a very interesting area, and I think it really um, pushes us to the boundaries of our understanding of psychology, of consciousness, of of identity even, Mm -hmm. and and really ask us to expand our own mind and thinking. Well, and uh, along those lines then, I'm curious, uh, so you've you've written this book, this came out a couple years ago, right? Yeah, it came out at the end of 2008. 2008. So... I'm assuming that the questioning has continued. And so my question to you is, what's your sort of frontier? What's your guiding question or the principle that you're exploring right now in your dreaming? Well, uh, to to some degree, uh, I'm continuing some of the questions that I bring up in my book. Uh, I've been also exploring things like contacting reincarnational selves Mm -hmm. while consciously aware in the dream state and uh, had some success with that and started to meet others who've had success Have with that. you met the part of me that plays piano like Dr. John? <laughs> you know, I, I, I have yet to meet that person, Anne, but I'm sure I'm sure that you and your next lucid dream uh, can, can call out and... Um, Just and curious. Can, anyway, continue. But, 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 but I, I think uh, that's another aspect of psychology and identity that needs exploring. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, are, are we just one self in one time, disconnected from other times and other selves, or, or do we actually have a larger 
yeah. being of which we're a part of. And so, huh. so things like uh, that and uh, just exploring the nature of identity uh, more deeply is, is what I'm pursuing in my lucid dream work. Well, it sounds fascinating. Do you have any, any plans for another book along the way? or You know, um, I, I think I do. And uh, if people do have interesting lucid dream experiences, they can always go to my website, uh, www.lucidadvice.com, mm-hmm. and, and send those in. And, uh, Great. And uh, I'm, I'm always happy to interact with lucid dreamers. Wonderful. We have been talking with Robert Wagner today on Dream Talk Radio. Robert is the author of Lucid Dreaming, Gateway to the Inner Self. He is also the uh, current president of the International Association for the Study of Dreams. And maybe we should put in a plug for the conference, the IASD conference coming up in June in uh, Charlottesville, North Carolina. Actually, Asheville, North Carolina. Ah, gosh. Asheville, Asheville, thank you. Asheville, North Carolina, starting uh, June 27th. To basically July 2nd, and you can get more information at asdreams.org. .org. And you can contact Robert at lucidadvice.com, and you can check out the Lucid Dream Exchange at dreaminglucid.com. Uh, Robert, thank you so much for taking time out to speak with us today. Oh, and thank you. I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's been a, Great. been a lot of fun. Pleasure to talk with you. Um, well, we'll stay in touch. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. And that was our interview for this morning. Fascinating book. I highly recommend it. Lucid Dreaming, Gateway to the Inner Self by Robert Wagner. You can pick it up at all sorts of bookstores. I've seen it pretty much everywhere I go on the Dreaming Shelf. That's it for today. Uh, This is Dream Talk Radio. I'm your host, Ann Hill. And uh, if you're interested in past shows, uh, past interviews that I've done with people and past subjects that I've covered, you can uh, find podcasts of the show at dreamtalkradio.net. I also write about dreams for the Huffington Post. So if you go to the Huffington Post and type in my name, I have two uh, articles that were just published quite recently, one on dreams of flying and falling, and another one on the idea of restful insomnia. That ends this week's Dream Talk Radio Show podcast. Thanks for listening, and remember to tune in every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. at www.kows.fm. This is Ann Hill, and I'll see you again next week.